The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. And now our scripture reading today is from Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Cammie. It was great to see that video and uh, to know that there's so much going on and so many things that y'all are a part of um, that are really impacting this city uh, in so many ways and uh, multiple Ideas are even floating in, in currently about how to create new ways to impact the city. One of the things that uh, we actually have a missional community for this, but I wasn't planning on talking about that. Um, it just, Lord willing, it worked. But uh, we have ministries that work in prison systems. And I don't know if you've been able to work uh, at all in a prison system before. Some of you in this room have done that or are doing it currently. But it's been a part of my heart, uh, it continues to stir me, and I, don't, I haven't been able to do it on a uh, current basis. But I remember going over several years to different prisons in different states and uh, cities and being a part of ministries that go into them. And there's nothing that, that hits you harder than when you go in there and you think, and this is what most of us think that who are not in Uh, prison, as you go to those places and you're kind of faced with what people have done, Um, but yet how many times you go in there and you really think, what separates me from these men and women who are in these prison systems? Um, They have been caught and they have been, you know, they have done these things. But what about my sin? Remember uh, when we took a group of students uh, when I was even a campus minister across the street at Vanderbilt to a prison here in Nashville, and one of our students was talking with one of the prisoners that we had just concluded a worship service together. Our students had played music, I was able to preach, and they were in conversation, and apparently my student was talking about uh, just freedom and just the difficulty of that. And this particular prisoner looked at my student and said, you know what, though? I feel sorry for the people outside of these walls because they're actually a lot less free than me. And that has haunted me. The reason for it is because here's a man who is obviously incarcerated for what he's done, but there's this apparent freedom about him. 
an apparent freedom uh, of something that's different, something that's new, something that's radically changed the way he's seen himself. There's news of something that's greater than the decree that came down from what he had done before. And you read this passage, Paul is actually in prison. But if you read it as he's in prison, it doesn't sound like he's in prison. It, it sounds like this great joyful letter of excitement and freedom. Where does that come from? Why does Paul sound this way when he could feel this? I mean, he's incarcerated in Rome, quite possibly, and he's chained day and night to a soldier. And yet his language is constantly not about, oh, these chains are rubbing my legs or making it about his circumstances and when he's going to get out of there, but more about some news, something called the gospel, something that is seemingly bigger than him that gives him a rich joy that almost lifts him up out of his incarceration. Just as is talking to this, this prisoner did and, and, and hearing him say that to the student. And it haunts me because I think, how bound am I? How bound am I by the bad news that I live in day to day? <laughs> because it is my prison. And yet, Paul is saying, there are a lot of people outside of these walls that are a lot less free than me. There are two simple things that come from this passage. We've been looking at Philippians for the last two weeks. This is the second week in this book. Philippians is one of four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And this book is just riddled with joy to a church who is helping him, who's caring for him. And the two simple things that he wants to, to, to see here is not about his imprisonment. But why is this gospel so different? Why is it so different? And how does it always keep going? Why is it so different and how does it keep going? It, it, Paul begins here to try comforting them. It's an interesting thing because the guy in prison is trying to comfort the people outside of the prison. Just as that prisoner tried to encourage my students on that, in that very, it seems, backwards way. But he's encouraging them to say, there's something that happened to me. As he says in verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He knows that this church is really worried about them. They've sent uh, help to him. One thing that, that he said even last week, we talked about this partnership in the gospel. They've actually sent like provisions to him to care for him. They even sent a person named Epaphroditus to go help him while he was in prison. To care for him there. And it's so counterintuitive to us because, yeah, most of us would say, don't worry about me. You know, when people kind of try and give us help or lean in to maybe a difficulty, it feels weird to us in our culture because we oftentimes don't want to be a burden. Paul does something actually counterintuitive. He receives it. He's okay with them taking on the burden. But what he does is he takes their focus off his burden to something different, to what's called the gospel. It's called good news. And we've talked about this in here before. But if you're, if you're unfamiliar with that word and you think it's just religious kind of jargon, actually it was a word that was used really abroad of good tidings. Uh, it was used in many countries for many things to say there's a proclamation of a, an event. Something happened. And it didn't render your opinion. It was a fact of something happened. Usually used of like a victory in a war. And so you didn't give your opinion of whether who won the war. You gave your, 
your reaction to, oh man, we lost, they won, or we won, they lost. That was typically how it came out. It was a news of an event. You know, earlier this year, there in Hawaii, which is really undergoing major problems right now, we should be praying for them as their volcano, the volcanoes are going off and the gases and lava is really destroying much of the greater island. But even earlier this year, they had a really interesting situation. Now, if you read about it, <clears throat> they had um, a cell, imagine this, they were asleep and a lot of their cell phones started going off. And it said, missile crisis, this is not a joke. And signs everywhere began saying it. There's an article that said, the Hawaii Emergency Management Services worker who sent a false alert warning of an incoming ballistic missile this last month had a long history of poor performance and sent the warning because he thought the state faced an actual threat, officials said. The mistake which touched off panic and confusion across Hawaii in January occurred when the worker misinterpreted testing instructions from a supervisor, according to the Federal Communications Commission and state officials in Hawaii. Believing the instructions were for a real emergency, the worker who has not been identified, lucky for him, sent the live alert to the cell phones of all Hawaii residents and visitors of the state. State officials had previously described the episode as an accident. Shortly after it happened, the governor blamed the false warning on a state employee who had pressed the wrong button. Now, you can actually see their images if you go back to some articles of like highway signs saying, it's just a false alarm. It's a false alarm. Can you imagine driving down the highway in Hawaii and you see this up there? Your cell phone is going off. Now, even false news created what? A panic. It created a reaction. It created something in them. Because every part about that, even if it was a mistake, he pressed the wrong button. Can you imagine? Even the false news forced every single person in Hawaii, visiting or resident, to say, what does this mean for my life? How is this going to change, not just my day, but what's going to happen in the future? The news that Paul is bringing to them has to be something different. He loves the Philippians so much that he uses this language to say, the gospel. Look, the gospel is advancing. For the defense of the gospel, he says in 16. There's this word that means so much to him that it has to go out. And it's a little bit odd to us because we may say, yeah, that's religious language we use in church. But does it really have the impact of news that changes the way that you see your present life and the future? Does it change you? Because it's not news of an opinion, it's news of an event that warrants your reaction. And it really does so, and here's why it's important, because it, it says so in light of the bad news. See, if you really know who you are, if there's something about this gospel that's real to Paul, He's saying, not only do the people that are in the church need to hear this, the, pe the Roman guard needs to hear this. 
Like this is news that's so impactful that it's gonna change not just, not just the church. I mean, think about that. That's what we would think of. Paul's writing to them, yeah, I'm trying to get out of this situation with the Romans. No, no, no. He says, no, no, no. This isn't for the deterrent of this gospel, the advance of it, because it's such a profound event, such profound news that it transforms every aspect of the bad news that you and I believe. Imagine if that was true. Imagine if there was good news that went over and above and wrapped its arms around every part of the bad news that you believe in your life. That this news is so specific that the gospel, meaning the life, death, resurrection, and will return events of Jesus Christ actually have every single thing to do with the specific parts of your life that you wake up and you say, this is horrible news about me. You know those character defects that you see in yourself? That conversation you have with your friend, your spouse, maybe a boss, about that one thing, that part of you, that pattern of your personality that continues to come up and be a thorn to those that you're around. And you think, how in the world? That is news that you constantly read and you want to report, you try to report some different kind of news for yourself. But what if this good news is so powerful, it can reach into those places where you think your character is all but lost and can actually change it? can actually reach in and remind you that you aren't as bound as you think you are. What if the good news was so, not just specific, but total, that all of the guilt that you wake up with on a regular basis was actually wrapped up? I joked with Cammie earlier, and I hope she didn't mind. I told her she wouldn't mind if I used this story. It actually was so funny. She ran in this morning, Cammie, who was just up here, and she was driving here and went through a yellow right, light that turned red, I think. She probably ran it. It was really red, I bet. She was just telling me it was yellow. And um, <clears throat> Kami and I are so close. She's like my sister, so we, we really razz each other a lot. So essentially, she runs through it, and all of a sudden, out pops this cop. And he, lights go on, and she's on her way, and she goes, okay, and pulls over. And the cop comes, and then goes, and goes around her and keeps going. Now, you know that feeling. Everybody in this room has kind of seen that. You know what that feels like because you are in that moment like, I, I know what I just did. I know, and, and even if you didn't know what you did, you're going, I know I'm just wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. There are lights behind me. It's over, right? Like guilt in total. You have, you can't escape it. But that feeling when the cop goes around you and you're like, oh man, good luck, pal. Whoever that is. But it is that moment in total, but the gospel speaks good news. It is the fact that you are guilty. Even if the cop goes around, you are guilty. You and I in total are guilty, but there is news that comes in to declare that your life is not to be destroyed. You may have guilt, but the gavel comes down on someone in an event. This is why the life of Jesus is completely different. The gospel. Can you imagine Paul thinking about this? I've got to tell not just the Philippian church. I've got to tell these Roman soldiers that there's news that is so good for you. 
that it makes sense of your Roman culture that tells you you are only worth it if you are honorable and loyal, but none of you are. You're all guilty. And yet Paul is the prisoner. Do you see the irony? The gospel of good news that doesn't change. Look, in light of whatever news you keep reporting to yourself. Look, many of us in this room have the tapes playing in our head of what we think we are. We report the news to ourselves every day. As Tim Keller said in a totally different context, he said, we drag ourselves back into the courtroom to judge ourselves every single morning and every single evening. What if there was news that every time you tried to report something to yourself, or you saw your guilt, or your character defect, or the way that you just will never get away from your sexual brokenness, from your vocational brokenness, the things that you say to yourself that there is no way, that there is news that could be good enough to speak into the bad that I believe, it is there. And it is not a matter of your opinion or mine. It is the fact that it has happened. That is gospel. And can you imagine how it goes into this place? If that is what is so important to Paul to tell this group of people, if that is so important, would he not and would there be anything to stop it? Could there be anything to stop it? He even gives the examples of that. He says, how does this go out? He says, it's happened to be to advance the gospel. That why that gospel is so valuable because it transforms the way you, you see the news in light of your bad. But how it goes out in, in advancement is so incredible. In fact, the word advance, this is the first time in Hellenistic Greek culture that this was written in this way. The Greek word advance was always used in terms of personal advancement, in terms of personal achievement, that Greek language of advance, it was always saying, make something of yourself. Paul flips it, and so when the Philippians would have read this, they would have thought, I've never read of the news of the gospel advancing like that. That it can actually advance and go forward, that it's more, it's not that Paul denies that he's in prison, it's the fact that the progress, the advance, even though he's bound the word of God, the advance, this gospel, this proclamation of the event of Jesus Christ is never bound. And he gives you that here. He says it's in places you would never expect. Look at this in verse 13. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, here's the imprisonment that Paul had. And the imperial guard was real. This was an elite group of soldiers. Some of your translations may say uh, the Praetorian Guard. The Praetor Guard or the Praetor Tent was the place that would, would at first was known for the higher level officials in the Roman uh, army. But what it would become known as, as the places where the emperor or the governor of that province would actually stay. And those soldiers became the elite soldiers. Paul was actually in house arrest 
with the emperor in his, in his uh, residence. And he would have a, a soldier chained to him day and night. So he was never not chained to a soldier. So imagine this word in there was spread. Imagine being chained to Paul. And Paul is speaking this news to them over and over and over. And that the advance of the gospel, almost like these Roman soldiers, were the social media of the day. And how is he going to publicize that out? He speaks it to them one by one. Why would it be valuable? We looked at this some last week in Acts chapter 16. You can look it up where Paul and interacts with a soldier. You can see in other places throughout the New Testament where soldiers come in contact with the gospel. And over and over, it's this aspect of loyalty, this aspect of authority in which Paul delivers the message, in which Jesus himself meets with certain soldiers and speaks to them about the gospel. This good, why is it good news for a soldier? Because it goes into places where their loyalty falls short, where their authority hits a ceiling, that Jesus gives mercy and yet holds all authority. And they are drawn to it. I need us to ask the question in the midst of this. This is a place that you wouldn't think. Paul is writing, hey, I want the gospel to advance into this Roman imprisoned camp. But for us, that's one of those places, if you read this, if you're in Philippi, you'd say, that's amazing. Why are you doing that? Where are the places that we think the gospel will not go? The circumstances, the, the, the areas. Is it your workplace? Is it in your family? Is, where is it? Is it pockets of the city you say, oh, the gospel could never go there? Where have you said that and where do you not say it but believe it? Because Paul is saying the advancement of this gospel is far more powerful. If that news is really true of how good it is, is there anywhere this gospel cannot go? <clears throat> Some of you may have heard of this name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a, a contemporary martyr, actually. During uh, World War II, he was a Christian pastor, a Lutheran pastor, who had, um, he visited America, he had was back in Germany, had started many churches, especially during, uh, even underground during uh, the time of uh, uh, Hitler's reign and in the, just the height of World War II. He was even in at one point on a plot to assassinate Hitler because it was such a, an evident uh, note to him of uh, what needed to happen in that time. Well, he was caught, as many conspirators were, he was put in a, uh, a concentration camp, and it was interesting to read, it's interesting to read about his relationships in that camp. You hear about Paul in, in prison speaking to guards, and that not only the guards, but others around him were encouraged. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the prison, the last kind of hours of his time in prison were fascinating. And listen, to, listen to how it, how it goes. On April 8th, as they were taken back to this camp, they reached the tiny Bavarian village of Schaunburg, where the prisoners were herded into a small schoolhouse being used as a temporary lockup. It was a low Sunday, the first Sunday after Easter, and several prisoners prevailed on Bonhoeffer to lead them in a prayer service 
And he did so, offering with meditation on Isaiah's words. With his wounds we are healed. Which, by the way, Isaiah is the first place where you see this gospel proclamation coming forward in a a real event. Their quiet was interrupted as the door was pushed open by two men in civilian clothes. Members of the Gestapo, they demanded that Bonhoeffer follow them. For the prisoners, this had come to mean only one thing. He was about to be executed. Bonhoeffer took the time to bid everyone farewell, drawing Best aside. He spoke to his final recorded words, a message to his English friend, Bishop Bell. This is the end, for me, the beginning of life. Early the next morning, April 9th, Bonhoeffer and others, four other conspirators, were hanged at the extermination camp of Flossenburg. The camp doctor who had, now listen to this, the camp doctor who had, to witness the executions, remarked that he watched Bonhoeffer kneel and pray before being led to the gallows. And this was his actual quote. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. He wrote, at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. In the almost 50 years I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Now look, none of us in this room, Lord willing, will be in a position like Bonhoeffer to face that. But what is always profound to me in reading, not just him, but other people who have literally laid their lives down for for faith, is not just the way that those in the prison cell were encouraged by Bonhoeffer preaching to them, but by the doctor that heard and watched him. Do you understand what is happening here with Paul? There's something about this news that is so big, it can penetrate the most powerful armor of the Roman army. If it can do that, couldn't it go into any place and circumstance in this city and in your life? If the doctor at the gallows is not just taken by Bonhoeffer himself, but that he is so submissive to the one who knows him. There is no place the gospel cannot go. There is no place it cannot reach. It is profound in its effect. And it it impacts people that you wouldn't expect. It impacts people like Roman soldiers. It encourages those around them. Wouldn't it be incredible if we really believed, if we really believed why this gospel is important, that we really believed it in our own lives, wouldn't we know that there is no person that we can look at, whether in this room or outside of it, that the gospel cannot reach? And wouldn't we take the time, like Paul, to go, this is such an incredible, valuable message that even thy very enemies... I want to advance the gospel in their lives. Do you believe it that much? What a profound event. Do you realize that the gospel message itself isn't about Jesus coming to die for all of us that are willing to come here? It's the fact that he died for us because none of us would come here. He died just not for his first century enemies, but his 21st century enemies, as well as his friends. 
And he would make us friends. He would bring us because he is the gospel. He is brought here. You know, Brett's out of town this um, weekend. I told her, I talked to him last week. Um, and I'm so glad Sarah Beth's here to play. And she's great to hear her play. And I told Brett I was going to use this illustration. <laughs> and if I get a little teary, it's, because, it's part because Brett's life. Uh, I've known Brett for, gosh, 12 years now, maybe. Maybe even longer. <clears throat> and the way Brett got to Nashville is a pretty amazing story. He was actually my intern on staff with me at RUF um, many years ago. And his campus minister was a man named Dustin Salter. He went to TCU, Trinity, uh, Trinity, uh, Texas Christian University in, in Fort Worth, Texas. And at the time, Dustin was his campus minister and continued to encourage him about that. You need to do this internship, Brett. You need to do this. You need to do this. Well, his senior year, um, Brett's senior year, Dustin would leave and actually go to another campus. That happens often. Sometimes campus ministers switch campuses. And this is a place that Dustin was going. And he continued to encourage him. He was, Dustin was out on a bike ride with his family. Simple thing. Fell, hit his head, and went, uh, essentially had brain swelling and went into a deep coma. He was in the hospital, and it was a huge event, and Dustin was actually dying um, very slowly for a long period of time. And as Brett and others and his family, uh, who Dustin had uh, three children, I think, at the time, were going through this, and people were coming to visit the hospital where Dustin was at the time, over and over. Even his brother... Dustin's brother, who didn't know if he really believed in Christianity, was overwhelmed. And this was actually something that I heard the story from, uh, from them. He said, the people, everyone around, this is an actual quote, they said, what is going on here? Why are all these people coming up to care for this one guy? What, what is the deal with this? And they said, well, he's our pastor, he's our friend, he's our father, he's my brother. So I don't, I don't know what church y'all go to, but I would want to go to your church if I cared about church. I would want to go there. Because there's something the way you believe this, this news that's so real, that so impacts the truth of what you're doing in your life. That, my friends, is how Brett Taylor came to Nashville, Tennessee. Do you see the events that God has, that his story, his gospel plays in our story? I don't know everybody's story in here, but what's beautiful about the proclamation of this story of the gospel is that this bread and wine tell you you're a part of a larger story. It reminds you that every bad thing you bring up here, there is good news that you taste and smell that triumphs over it. Every single piece. When you come up here, this is a table not just of conviction and feeling bad. This is actually a table of good news in light of what you bring. When you taste this, when you take it up, Know that it connects 
to the deepest parts that the gospel is true. And how does it go forward? If you believe enough to, can I say this to you? If you believe enough to come to this table and know that the proclamation, it's not your opinion, it's an event that happened, shouldn't it impact the way that you believe the gospel goes out these doors to this city, to your family, your job, all around you in ways that you would never, ever think it would reach. If you're here this morning, don't come to this table thinking, well, I'm too bad to come to this table. That, that's not what this table's about. Don't come to this table, not if you think you're too bad. Don't come to this table if you think you're too good to take this. If you think that proclamation is not, you, you don't need it. With integrity, don't do that. Wrestle with that. Re take a reaction to the event, but come forward with your heart to receive what is at this table, knowing that this event has addressed your very needs. Let's stand together, if we will.